Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Destroy Before Listening, which is a conversation between myself, Pete Byrne and Justin Greaves. Justin has been active playing music since the 80s, from drummer for hire to guitarist in his own group, Crippled Black Phoenix. Whether it's in a Jethro Tull covers band with his dad, or playing the musical saw on a track with Nick Cave and Debbie Harry, he's been all over many different things. Starting out in hardcore bands like Hard to Swallow, then the infamous sludge of Iron Monkey, to the doom of Teeth of Lions Rule the Divine with Lee Dorian and Sun members, and also Electric Wizard's We Live album of 2004. Switching to guitar, he formed the musically diverse rock group Cripple Black Phoenix in 2004 and has now recorded their 13th studio album to date in 2021. Releasing on Invader, Clearview and Season of Mist, they have toured extensively with varying lineups and players. The conversation also takes in the Cripple Black Phoenix choice of cover versions, like their horrific honorifics album and the Jeffrey Lee Pierce Sessions project. Justin also discusses his love of film scoring, having provided music for The Devil's Business 2011 and Future Shock 2014, a very open and honest look back at his time playing music over the decades. Follow on Instagram at Destroy Before Listening where photos are posted relating to each episode. You can listen via any usual podcast platforms. Please subscribe or share this to anyone who may be interested. Getting the word out is always appreciated. Thanks. The Jethro Tull covers thing with your dad. (laughs) (laughs) Where, what year is that? Oh, uh, eight, eighteen eighty nine, right. So this is the um, Jethro Tull covers band you did with your dad. You you were playing drums. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't my first band. Right. Um, what was the first band? Oh, first band was band. We called it. Uh, no, let me think. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to think which way around. Okay, I think Life Class was the first oh, right. band that I was playing gigs with. Um. There's Life Class or LAL, we're called. And, <laughs> yeah. Is, um, is this late, late 80s then? This, this was mid 80s. Mid 80s? Yeah, well, 80, 86, my first band. I started fairly early. Because um, the, fir- the first time, I'm trying to remember which band it was. I think it was LAL. And, and the first time we sort of played out of our area, um, proper gig was with Napalm Death at the Kaleidoscope in Birmingham, and that was in 1988. Oh, yeah. um, because we did, we, we it was a year before I learned to drive, you see. So we had to go down on the train, and we, we played as a three piece with no bass player because his mum wouldn't let him go. Um, and then we spent so long talking to Napalm Death after the show, and Dan Wilker was there that uh, we missed our train back and we had to sleep in telephone boxes at Birmingham New Street <laughs> with our guitars and, dr- and drumsticks and stuff. That that was the, like, more like the old school style, wasn't it? Just yeah, 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 yeah. showing up to places with drumsticks and like a guitar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, genital deformities were on the bill as well. And I'd been communicating with Simon from Cerebral Fix and um, Crow from uh, genital deformities. And... They they were lending us the equipment and stuff. They were really really cool guys, really nice guys, as what I can remember. Um, yeah, it was full on like crusty hardcore gig. It was like it, it was the heyday of all that. It was just when that was kicking off. Yeah, and it was just insanity, absolute insanity. I could not believe it. It was my first kind of proper gig outside my my immediate area. You know, local pub gigs and. Uh, yeah, it just blew my mind. And then we played at the George Roby with like, you know, I think it was like Hell Bastard and Energetic Crusher maybe or Bomb Disneyland and mm-hmm. a few of them bands. I think Doom may, might have been playing. Oh, Bolt Thrower, I think. Anyway, yeah. it it was it was like, it was kind of the dream lineups when you look back on it, you know, when people are talking about bands back in the day, it was like, you can't believe you were part of something that's so like cult classic now, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's how it started. That's got me started was was the the crusty UK scene. Okay. Um, and people like I mean Lee Dorian is you know people like that, but just really sort of uh, get get just gave me loads of pointers and help and you know because mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm not I think he's maybe a couple of years older than me. The guys that were playing, I think they were all sort of late teens, twenty, and I was about sort of sixteen, seventeen. 
And uh, so, but at that time, when you're that age, you're just, everyone's like, you know, any, anyone two years older than you is really old. <laughs> Yeah, um, and and they were you know and they were in decent bands and they were in bands that I had records of, and yeah, uh, yeah it was just uh, it just inspired me to sort of keep going and and actually go out and play just like crusty squat gigs, and and just enjoy it for what it was. Um, you would have moved to Leeds to go to university, I imagine, was it? But no, I mean, actually, you know, I actually no. I dropped out of college to go to Leeds. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, um, yeah, I was, uh-huh. I was doing a, doing an art foundation course, and then I just like, I just, yeah, I quit because I didn't get on with the teachers, and I just stopped pretending that I was going to be creative with my art and start being creative with my music. Yeah, and I left home and I went, and it was because my girlfriend at the time was going to college in Leeds, and she had a room at the uh, her house, and I needed somewhere to live, so I just decided I'll go there, and. Uh, that relationship didn't last, but I mean, it, I, I stayed in Leeds for a couple of years. That was that was after we'd been. I did the napalm and the crusty gigs and stuff, and then I met Jim, obviously for my monkey jamming with bands around there, and then I moved back to North Lincolnshire and uh, got a place with a mate of mine, and we did a band called Mental Seizure, um, and then we did some UK calls and things like that. So that was. Mental seizure was then the, kind of the next little tiny step up, you know. Um, we were like organising our own gigs then, um, so instead of being invited to go and play or you know friends putting us on with bigger bands, we were at proactively trying to make our own tours, and we were making our own zines and stuff like that, and being a local band but trying to sort of break out of being a local band. Yeah, and uh, and I did that until about nine. I think it was about ninety. 93 i think i quit that and then that's when i moved to nottingham so yeah so in, in the meantime though to mention oh the, 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 the jethro, jethro tour well that, that, tour. that that was yeah that was like i said i did the jethro tour convention with my dad and that was <laughs> that was 1989 i know that because the po- there's a poster in my dad's toilet about it yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, and I actually, I met Jethro, I met Ian Anderson and some of the Clive Bunker and all that at that gig. He showed up mm-hmm. and I was just like, and there's me and I had a green Mohican. You know what I mean? And, yeah. Um, I was playing drums and, and doing Jethro Tull songs and then fucking Jethro Tull themselves turn up. <laughs> it was like, and then they decided to have a little jam on stage before us. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, you know. But um, it was it was cool actually. Yeah, so I, I I helped my dad out a little bit, and then he got another drummer, obviously. And then I think he needed some help after after that again. And then it was me and Gods from Hard to Swallow actually played played with us. So yeah. it was me and Gods doing Jethro Tull stuff for a little while just to help <laughs> out. Um, so your dad owned a record shop, didn't he? Was just like your yeah. sort of exposure to well the world of records. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm super lucky, really. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I basically grew up in a record shop um, with a, with parents that are pretty open minded. You know, so uh, I had access to basically anything I wanted to listen to. I was never stopped from listening to anything. Um, so that shop opened in '76, and uh, I remember sort of you know back then sort of you know I got basically I, I think I helped decorate one year. Um, and uh, my dad said I could have any record that I wanted as reward for helping him but decorate. So I, I picked out the fluorescent cover of Nevermind the Bollocks, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he let me have it. And uh, you know, I was only young, and uh, so that was that was my introduction, really. Um, and I can remember that you know when when all the those albums were coming out and the and the seven inches especially i used to get this sort of paper bag every saturday um a sort of paper bag full of seven inches <laughs> yeah. and uh i think i think I, I my first ones were like generation x valley of the dolls i think um uh, anti nowhere league anyway just do you still have those records or did you yeah some of them some of them have survived yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've uh, I've got a sort of fifty fifty seven inch collection, and and fifty percent of it is kind of like power violence kind of stuff <laughs> from the nineties, you know, bovine releases and all manners of bastard. Yeah, 
and half of it is like super old school punk. You know? yeah. <laughs> There's not much else apart from that. <laughs> so yeah, but that was it. You know, it, it, I'm, I just consider myself really, really lucky you know, to um, to have grown up going through yeah. that. You know, so and that, and I think that's probably why I didn't want to sort of stick with just playing fucking Doom or or whatever the whole of my life yeah. because my influences come from so many different places and that's just because I'd grown up in a record shop, you know, and my dad was playing the like journey first journey album, which sounds daft, but it was, it's a great album before Steve Perry joined and they became middle of the road. But, um, the first journey album and, and, or Pink Floyd or whatever, you know, whatever it was and their imagery, you know, it was, it was almost like it was like haunting at the time for a young kid. Mm -hmm. It's like this psychedelic kind of, you know, rock, posters all over the shop yeah i was gonna ask you know that must be uh when you're younger that's kind of what you see is what you want to listen to isn't it if you see yeah. a cool cover of something on metal records you just mm. like, yeah I want to listen to that. yeah well it would have yeah definitely i mean it would have started say for instance there was a really cool pink floyd poster and it was the one with them um, it was like a kind of a skull kind of thing and uh that sort of really sort of blew my mind you know um and then it was like i think it was Jean, i got into i, was, I really loved when i was little i really loved uh, jean-michel jazz oxygen having like a broad spectrum of like yeah of, of inspiration and influences um i mean i I've, i think some people gravitate towards it like you know a, a kind of a scene and a way of thinking some people just gravitate to anything that, that is interesting yeah and i that's probably where the, you know, the sort of, um, some of my, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I absolutely love that old hardcore scene and everything, you know, some of the really amazing people involved and stuff. But then I didn't get along with it at the same time because I was interested in so many other things. And sometimes I'm not saying it was, um, it was not controlling or narrow minded or anything, but, it, but when you look at it, when you from the outside, it does seem like that sometimes. Mm-hmm. when it was like you know when I was playing with artists while I am monk and stuff it was just like fuck everything fuck the world like hate everybody yeah. and but that, <laughs> that was definitely part of us it, it's it's got to be in there for you to really kind of have that kind of energy yeah but it wasn't it wasn't all of us it wasn't like that wasn't our main thing you know we weren't 100% hating everything we all listened to different things we all we all enjoy different things outside of music we're just like fucking normal people you know and uh and and so i think i I probably found it harder to sort of suppress a desire to do something outside of the box and i think some people are happy doing that which is great you know um and i love bands that do that i love bands that stick to the plan you know and you you know what you're gonna get and, and they do it really well but that's just not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I never felt part of, I, I never 100% felt part of a scene and I never wanted to. I don't, I, I don't want to be part of anything, you know what I mean? Yeah. I enjoyed being part of it. Don't get me wrong. It's not because I don't didn't like it or I had a problem with it. It's just that. You I, want your own thing. I just wanted to do my own thing. All, all yeah. that time, I just always wanted to do my own thing. Yeah, so... I think after Electric Wizard, I was like, finally, I was going to write, fuck everything. I'm really going to do my own thing now. And that's when I started this. Yeah. Well, it, just to go back, what led to living in Nottingham? Yeah. When I, I used to just go to loads of shows down in Nottingham because it's, it's fairly close to, to here. You know, it's just the other mm-hmm. side of Lincoln. Um, so, yeah, when I first learned to drive way back, you know, in the 80s, it, that's where we used to go. As soon as I had wheels, we used to jump in a van or something and and go and see shows there. You know, I mean, you know, early Fugazi gigs and and Gorilla Biscuits and you know DRI and Heresy and Concrete. So you know, there's so many good, really amazing gigs I can remember from from Nottingham. Um, so that basically drew me down there. Um, that with the fact that I knew a couple of skaters and BMX guys as well, which. At that point, I was still riding a BMX as well. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I started racing BMX in 1981. <laughs> <laughs> so I used to race. 
and then I just got into street riding and I just had mates I just used to go street riding with them I think actually Johnny ended up buying my GT off me in the end <laughs> yeah I think it was Johnny who bought it off me anyway yeah and so that kind of drew me down there anyway there was a bit of a scene and there was some guys that I knew and then um found a found a cool job in a record shop and of course you know I have to growing up in a record shop and I obviously I'd worked in the, the shop as well and I looked after it for my dad when he had to go on holiday or whatever um I could just walk virtually walk straight into a job like that back then you know I had, on paper it looked quite good so uh yeah, I just uh, just landed that. I worked in the timber yard for a little bit, and then just found a job way ahead, and just then that was it. I was I was staying in Nottingham. That's basically yeah. how it happened. <laughs> I guess there's a scene down there that you would have known people already. Well, and then things happen that way. I didn't, I didn't know didn't know too many people in the music scene. I was hanging out with a guy called uh, Ed the Dread. <laughs> he had a like he had a a flat right right opposite way ahead. And he did a, uh, he did a really cool zine called uh, Lobster Telephone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was just the funniest thing ever. And I knew him through a friend called Neil Marshall, who used to work at Rampton. And uh, he used to do a record stall. So this is, I'm going in reverse now again. I'm going back. When I was looking after my dad's shop sometimes, we, did, we used to do record fairs. And I met this guy, Neil Marshall, doing doing record fairs. And he used to have all this old Am Rep stuff, which I really loved. This was like, oh, that's cool. That was really my sort of favorite kind of music out of everything. Um, like God Bullies and Unsane, uh, Halo of Flies and Surgery and Tar and all that stuff. There was some really, co- really cool stuff. Anyway, Neil used to do all that kind of records. So, of course, became friends with him. And uh, he knew Ed the Dread in Nottingham, so that's a, my, a, a, my con- another connection to Nottingham um, from my days back up in North Lincolnshire. And uh, yeah, and it was just those guys were off the off their fucking heads. They were they were they were mental, super nice, super sweet guys, but fucking mental. Um, so yeah, so and that's that's basically that was the only people I knew apart from uh, a couple, like I say, a couple of skaters, and then I, I met. Uh, Johnny, I can't remember if I met Johnny first or Steve first, but I met them separately. But that was just because they were coming in the shop, and uh, and then yeah, I think that's probably why I and Monkey were always. I think we were always pretty much separated from the rest of the scene in Nottingham, to be honest, um, because we sort of formed outside of it. Because we, I wasn't, you know, Johnny wasn't part of the scene, and I wasn't part of the scene when we met. We just happened to be in Nottingham when we met, and we and instantly we did our own thing. So it wasn't like we were hanging out or rehearsing with with any of the other Nottingham bands like Pitch Shifter or the X Rays or whatever. We became friends with them as time passed, but initially we would we were by ourselves. We were by, <laughs> all of Iron Monkey. Uh, n- none of us were from Nottingham. We just all ended up in Nottingham. So we were all strangers in that town at first. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I I honestly can't remember if because the weird thing is that I was actually playing in Hard to Swallow before Iron Monkey was born. Yeah, I was I was going to ask like the crossover because it's kind of like there's similar uh, sort of players and I suppose if I, uh, similar coming from hardcore as well. Well, I'm just I'm just I'm trying to think trying to remember what what the hookup was with hard to swallow so my first band in nottingham was bradworthy for, for sure mm-hmm. that that was the pop punk thing and that but that was that sort of finished fairly quickly as soon as as soon as i started doing hard to swallow nine monkey uh that was like more my thing so but i'm just trying to remember the hookup with the hard to swallow because that the, kev frost the, the the drummer they just had it was kev goy Gods and Sean at the time with no Jim, so I joined Hard to Swallow, and then I said to them, "You want Jim playing guitar in this band?" I think that's when he moved to Nottingham. But I remember me and Jim playing our first Hard to Swallow shows before Iron Monkey played the first Iron Monkey show. It was really close, though. You know, it was all around the same time, so you have to forgive the murky memory. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I do remember actually before I Monkey ever played a gig, me and Jim were playing Hard to Swallow gigs. That was the um, the first like sort of hardcore gig I went to was uh, 
Park and Swallow and uh, Underclass. Oh, right. Ninety ninety six. Yeah, ninety six. So, well, we started. I think we started ninety five. I think. Well, Hard to Swallow were obviously going before I joined, but I, I think I joined in ninety five. But Nine Monkey was ninety five. Right. So, what uh, everything's happening at the same time. Pretty, pretty much, yeah. And and we and we finished. We finished right close to each other as well. All right. Um, I think. Uh, I think Iron Monkey finished on. I think it was September of uh, '99, and Hard to Swallow was just like the month after that, or something like that. I can't remember. Well, it could have been it could have been New Year's or something, but anyway, it was around Christmas time. I think I can't really remember for sure. The thing I couldn't uh, figure out was like playing the um, drums left-handed, yeah. and I thought, yeah, like I didn't understand. I think at the time it was left-handed drummers and right-handed drummers, or didn't make the distinction. I just thought he had your kit set up so he could play as fast as possible. And uh, <laughs> yeah. it just blew my mind. I was like, fucking Jesus Christ, how fast, like this, there's this quite some speed, you know? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I am, well, I am left handed. So that's why he's young. But yeah, you're right handed guitarist, though, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. that's, yeah. it's just because, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a drummer first. Um, yeah. I ended up playing guitar and I wanted to sort of write my own songs. So I was, I learned guitar by picking up other people's guitars and everybody else seems to be right-handed, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I just ended up learning guitar on a right-handed guitar. I, I think I'd be better if I, if I strung it left-handed in the first place, but I can't be asked now, you know, <laughs> but I, I just have a really janky way of playing guitar. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not a great guitarist, but I, I, I know enough to write songs and play live, you know, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, so what's the uh, the crossover between you got Iron Monkey and Earth to Online if you're playing in both bands as well? I, I, well, basically, I left Earth to Online to do Iron Monkey. Okay, all right. I think there was a, there was a there was a short period of time where I, I was in Hard to Swallow, Earth to Online, and Iron Monkey all at the same time, mm-hmm. and that's basically why I left Earth to Online. A because it wasn't it wasn't my band. It was good music, but it wasn't 100% my kind of bag. They were really, really nice guys. But in the end, it's the same. It was the same way I quit Bradworthy for, you know, to do more powerful mm-hmm. hardcore stuff. It's, it was, that's what I wanted to do. It's more, it was more up my street. So Earthtone 9 and Bradworthy, they were, they were more like bands with mates just to be playing the drums, if you see what I mean. And mm-hmm. not, not, I'm not taking anything away from them bands, you know. Um, but it, but hard to swallow was. I mean, that was kind of Kev's band anyway. Iron Monkey, on the other hand, that felt like it was ours, you yeah. know, because it was like, you know, I met Johnny, discovered that we both knew Jim separately, you know, drove up to Bradford and all that, went to see him, decided we we're all going to be in a band, and it was just sort of me, Jim, and Johnny, and then like Steve were playing bass, and then Doug moved down, and and that was it. So it felt it felt like we'd created it so i wasn't in a band that was someone else's band you know yeah. it, it was it was mine as well as everyone else's you know it we've we all felt equal part of it which that that was the thing it, yeah. it was just more in it there was more more of us in it and it that's kind of the stuff that i really wanted to do it, it just sort of sparked it set the brain off melted our faces off and and it was it was, it was a good laugh you know we, we, i think we were similar when it come to like our fucking silly sense of humor you know yeah yeah it's all there it's all present in the music it was all fucking about you mm-hmm. know it's like we were laughing our heads off i remember sitting around in the flat and jim was cutting out monkey faces and putting them inside of a fucking pentagram <laughs> and it was just that was just fucking cracking us up and that's why there's a fucking monkey gram yeah. you know it's, it's not it's it's it isn't any more than that you know mm-hmm. like i say that you know the, the press picked up on the fact that I mean, yeah, we got into a fight in in Brighton once, and we got banned by the council, apparently. Um, and then the like Kerrang and stuff, and they pick up on that, and then we and then it, they turn it into this fucking misanthropic band that are really dangerous, and we formed in prison. You know, we <laughs> we, had, we had a band from Germflux sending us a demo cassette, and on the end of it, they were sending us messages, and they were like. They truly believed that we'd gone to prison and formed the band, you know. 
and uh and we just like we were basically like well if they want to believe that let them fucking believe it and then we and that's it that the whole fucking iron monkey thing we we just seemed to be laughing at how wrong everybody was getting it yeah so we never corrected anybody we just got on with it i think that's fucking a lot more cool than trying to trying to you know pretend to we pretend to be like fucking super hardcore and against the world, and it. Yeah, just let other let other people make up the, the myths surrounding the band and stuff. Do you think? Do you think that's why it's still looked back upon as being? Well, I suppose that in the way it is, you know, like a, a mythology or like a, a, a fictitious kind of account. I think. I think it, it just. It, basically, I think it's because. There's not many people who who who, um, who know who know what the truth really is, you know, because we were never really a big band and we never put any kind of real information out there. So because people just heard stories and believed that, and we never really sort of corrected it. And whatever interviews we did, all we did was take the piss. And uh, yeah, so so I think that's just it intrigues people, I guess, you know. Um, so. I don't. I, th- I think people still don't know what the truth is about Iron Monkey, and that's why I don't want any. I mean, I've got. I've got. I'll, I'll say now, right? Full, full transparency here, right? Mm-hmm. I have no problem with the other guys in Iron Monkey at all. Never have. I didn't have a problem when I heard that they'd reformed Iron Monkey. Um, I do. I don't agree with it myself because when we split up, it was more like a pact you know, and Johnny was there and we said we'd never fucking reform this band. That was that. And because now Johnny's not with us, I, I can't go back on that. I have a lot of pride and and I respect all those guys completely. And we just all move on, you know. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I just wish it had been sort of left in the past, really, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, Post-Iron Monkey is like Armour of God, which is a short-lived band yeah i wish i wish we'd done a decent recording that, that was a pretty brutal band that was yeah uh, that was a sort of uh thinking maybe like a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to doing eye monkey i think at that that point because because we split up in such a way you know we basically wanted to fuck everybody off because management pissed us off and label was pissing us off and we we basically we split Eye Monkey off to to get away with from, from those people. Yeah, you know, after that horrible tour, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I think then because uh, and obviously me, Jim, and Johnny stuck together for uh, Armor of God, and we when me, Jim, and Johnny were were hanging out together socially, we would be listening to hardcore bands like like integrity kind of hardcore bands sam black church and all that so armor of god i think that was sort of you know letting that side of us out <laughs> the, yeah. the play the fast stuff that we, we didn't we didn't do with i monkey so uh when when did you spend time in the verrucas or was this just like a, a tour or something or yeah that was a couple of years when would that be 2000 2001 i think 2001 okay. was i think that was the last year i was with the verrucas but then i had a um a tia you know like a mini stroke mm-hmm. and that was while i was on tour with the verrucas um okay. a lot of shit in 2001 that's my life changed quite drastically and a lot of shit went down yeah um and uh yeah, and I ended up moving out of Nottingham and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, Verucas were. I think I did Teeth of Lions two thousand, and Verucas were during that time as well. I kind of did a couple of little sort of jobbing things. I played with Kang as well in Bradford mm-hmm. for a little bit. Uh, wish I'd stuck that out to be honest, but I I had to leave that band because I was joined the Verucas and the Verucas were touring like shitloads, so I didn't have time to do Kang. Um, but in hindsight, I think I'd probably wish I'd stuck with Kang rather than the Rookers, maybe. I don't know. I've forgotten about that band, Kang. I remember, I'm sure I saw, saw Kang once. Or, uh, it would have been, yeah. oh, fuck knows where it was. Like. Heavy, heavy band. Yeah. But they were like more kind of, 
I wouldn't say stoner, but they had more. Like it was more kind of you know re- really heavy sort of uh, doom rock. You mentioned uh, Teeth of Lions, Rule of Divine, which is a uh-huh. it's, a, it's a sort of a it's you, Lee Dorian and Sun, basically, isn't it? Like uh, it is <laughs> Steve, Steve and Greg. Yeah, it's Sun with drums and Vote and Lee. <laughs> yeah. In fact, there was there was some uh, Teeth of Lions riffs that ended up on the first Sun album. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was um, it was at the same time. I think Sun had done their demo, and they were just releasing it, or it just been released as a CD. Um, and that was about that time. So it was right at the early days of Sun. So I think the two were kind of almost melting together. Yeah. Well, the first song is like half an hour long or something, isn't it? It's quite long. Yeah, there's only three songs on the album. It's like there's a half an hour song and a twenty minute song and a Killdozer cover, and, and then a, and then a cover of a Killdozer song. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is int- interesting. Like, who whose choice was that, or how did that? Uh, um, no, I'm, uh, well, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm, yeah, I, I suggested you. Ah, yeah, cool. I'm afraid so. Well, you know, like I said earlier. All that early AMREP noise rock stuff, I was well into that. I was like, I was super into all of that. And um, Teeth of Lions come around, you know, and I was just hanging out with Steve. And uh, we just. Oh, this, yeah. this was when he lived in uh, the UK for a bit, wasn't he? He was there. Well, he, yeah, I'm just trying to think. He was in the UK. Yeah, he was, he was down in London for a bit. Because it, you know, Mark Dutron from who used to be in the Melvins, he was oh, yeah, going to yeah. be he was going to be the bass player in Teeth of Lions, but but right at that point, that's when he did that weird disappearing act. <laughs> no one knew where he'd gone, and and Greg just happened to be over with Steve uh, when it, like, we were decided we we're going to do an album, and Steve was just like, "Oh well, Greg, Greg will come and play bass," and he's like, "Oh yeah, smart, crack on," and obviously. Greg and Lee were working together with the labels and uh, yeah, came up and uh, went for a curry and recorded an album in one day. <laughs> yeah, it was in Nottingham. It was, uh, oh shit, what was the, it was the smallest recording studio ever. It was in an attic. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just a friend's kind of studio, but it, it was it was the most oppressive recording session ever. We just, it was like, we, like none of us, I mean, I, I haven't touched any drugs for a long time, but it was like being on uh, LSD, but <laughs> without being, but being completely stone sober. Yeah. It, it was just freaking us out because it was a small room and it was just stacked full of amps with my drum kit at one end. It's making people feel ill. Yeah, yeah, it did, yeah. I mean, I can remember Lee said, it was like being being uh, was it being tortured in a concentration camp or something. Oh god, yeah. that's what he said it was like. But yeah, it, uh, it, it bent all of our minds, you know. And uh, it was it was a weird experience, and it was very it was really physical experience because we were playing so loud, and that's why it's a really janky uh, sort of recording, you know, mm-hmm. really really rough recording. But it was because it was just recorded live on, and we and we were like like improvising a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just we were just like it was almost like a trance inducing, you know, where where the where the noise is so weirdly loud and oppressive. It was it was pushing air around the room so you could feel it as well as hear it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, a recording when you listen to it, it doesn't really capture that side of it. Uh, but uh, but that's why we sort of stuck it out, you know, and we put it out. It's just like fucking hell. And that's why we, I think that's probably why we didn't do another one because there's no way of re- recreating that. I mean, what do we, what do you do? What do you follow that up with? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was such a kind of strange coming together, you know, yeah. and it was all very spontaneous. And yeah, well, it's it just, just a, a, a one off sort of thing. Yeah. 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 And, again. It, yeah. yeah and, and I mean, what a fucking album to put out at that point as well because uh i don't think anyone really got it until afterwards it's another album that's done better later on than mm-hmm. it did when we did it because i don't know i mean I, you know it's it's not an easy album to listen to <laughs> yeah yeah you know it's not a pleasant listen so yeah well 
it was it was it was a good crack. We actually played one gig. Did you? <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, we yeah played, I don't know. I, don't know. I can't remember. It, well, Armor of God were playing a gig at the Old Angel, and I think it might have been when. Obviously, it was when Steve was at my, staying at my place, and we did a we did a gig because we'd like got a couple of riffs worked out. And and it was Marvin from the Verrucas played bass, and it was just me, me, uh, me, Steve, and Marv. <laughs> we just did an instrumental set, but that was Teeth of Lions, yeah. So there was actually one gig. Did you do a, a spot of session work or whatever with uh, Ginger from the Wild Hearts? I did. Yep. Oh, okay. It didn't yeah. last. Very no, no, I couldn't. Weird. I couldn't imagine it would would have. No, you know what was weird actually though. That was um, okay. So the, my, these these are all my busy years. This was around about ninety nine. This was a before Iron Monkey had split. Um, and I'd, basically, I I don't know if you know. I I played drums in a Norwegian sort of black metal Viking band called Bokngar. <laughs> Yeah, and it was a guy I knew in London. He just called me up and to see if I could fill in because their drummer had just killed himself, and they were due to go on tour with Napalm Death and Cradle of Filth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got the call for some reason. I don't. I don't know why. Um, but he called me up, and I remember being on Brighton Pier waiting for Johnny to come out of the police station. Because that's when the, I had to, I had to drive Johnny down to Brighton so they could arrest him for the fight that we had, mm-hmm. sort of a few weeks before, you know, um, and they just basically had to do this formal thing where they arrest him and then investigate it and then they basically drop the charges and he came out and I was waiting for him on Brighton Pier and that's when I got this call and they were asking me to play in this fucking notorious sort of black metal band from Norway, <laughs> <laughs> very strange and I, and because it was so strange, I just went, uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> So we went on tour. I was on tour for a couple of months with 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 Bortnagar, playing with Napalm and Cradle, and uh, you know all these metalers and Bortnagar were all like seven foot tall Vikings with long blonde hair and yeah and whirlwind headbanging. And there's me in shorts and a siege t shirt and a cap on the five, <laughs> you know, <laughs> playing blast beats and Viking metal with a fucking siege t shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was flying the flag. Yeah, back on uh, Ginger anyway. Is it? Is this yeah, how you? Yeah. Is this how you were in touch? Well, with? The, the, I think it was the same. Well, the, I think it was the same. Management same guy. Um, it was somebody because that was all through Century Media, and then somebody passed on my details to Ginger, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I got the call for that as well. So I went down to London to meet him and stuff, and hung out and stayed over at his place. And and he's a really nice guy, to be honest. Um, obviously he, he has a, a, a persona that he puts out in the press and a persona that is actually him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, he's a decent guy. He just knows what sells records basically. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, we got on really well. So we got a bass player and that, and we, we were jamming. We had a few rehearsals in, down in London. Um, like I was, I was basically session cause they were paying for my, you know, for my accommodation and everything. And, uh, all my petrol and fuel and all that kind of stuff. And we were going to go on, we were supposed to be touring uh, Japan, but then I, I I quit that. And and then it just got into this fucking ego thing. Uh, yeah. It just turned into this cock rock band. Now, I mean, I've spoken to Ginger a couple of times since then, you know, sort of vaguely stay in touch. He's a good guy and everything, but mm-hmm. yeah, but uh didn't really work out. <laughs> so in between, then and it will be electric wizards like a couple of years you are you just doing like session work and yeah whatever's come um, up whatever's coming along i I ended up living like down in maidenhead because i got a job at plastic head and uh it was just basically i was just living and working you know um not really i was jamming in a band with with um with mr beatty the uh the head on show at plastic head steve beatty doing like a killing joke kind of band. You know, I was doing it because, you know, obviously I was working with him. He was my boss and we we're just jamming in the warehouse after work and stuff. So, but that wasn't really a thing. Um, and then, 
2002 and then Johnny died obviously um and that was weird actually because when Johnny passed that we were working on that ruined by idiots because that was Johnny and Marv you know they what they did this label together called Maniac Beast and uh Johnny and Marv came up with this idea of doing an I Monkey album that you piecing together bits that were never released and doing it for us you know because we'd been fucked over by the label and everything we wanted, just wanted to release something that was just purely by us for us. And they were putting that together, and that's when Johnny passed. So we ended up doing it, carrying it on and putting it out for him. And uh, he actually called me. He called the, the day that he died, or the day before he died, he called me because it, he was playing a gig when Murder Murder One, was it, in London. And because yeah. I was living in London, I was going to, I said I'd go go see them. And that day I was just like, I just, I, I regret it, obviously, but I couldn't mm-hmm. be asked to go see him. Yeah. It's just like, I couldn't be bothered going into London. And I said, Johnny, I'll see you next time, you know? Mm-hmm. And of course there was no next time because it was that night when he went home that he he died. So, you know, that was a huge regret. It's a very, very weird time. So I didn't want really anything to do with, I mean, I was working in music. I was working at a fucking record label, but yeah. um, I wasn't that bothered about playing uh, because my head was in bits you know i didn't have the capacity to even think about music and only when just from electric wizard called me and persuaded me to to join electric wizard is when i sort of got back into playing again yeah um and it was just because they'd kicked mark out and it was him and tim so it was just the you know it wasn't the electric wizard that it turned into you know it was the original three guys and they ended up kicking mark out so Seemed like I had an affinity with them, you know, and got, we got on very well and all that kind of stuff. This is the We Live album, isn't it? Yeah, we sort of wrote that between us, which was kind of cool. Um, and I think that's why Just doesn't like it anymore, you know. All right. Um, well, that's the that's the message I get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, jumping about time-wise... I mean, that's basically why I ended up doing my own thing in the end. Because well, was much, as much as like, this, the Electric Wizard did some fucking cool stuff and some cool songs, the the guys, you know, it's it put it just put me off being in a band, you know, forever. <laughs> yeah. And that was that. The, this um, lead, leading on the experience from that, uh, you know, that's the formation of Cripple Black Phoenix, which... Was it more of a concept, an idea, or when you started? No, no, it, it was uh, no, it was just I, I'd had enough of being, you know, having to sort of conform by scene standards and answer to scene police people. You know what I mean? And yeah, you basically, you can't do anything without somebody being a bitch about it. You know, mm-hmm. um, and then put that together with a bit of a shit experience in, in Electric Wizard, for one reason or another. I, I was just like, you know, I'd basically not that bothered about playing in a band so much, you know, because the, the shine had been taken off a little bit. And uh, at the same time, I I lost another really, really close friend. He was like, um, she was my best friend, you know, not a girlfriend or anything, plutonic, but it was best best mates, basically. My, my, my head was just fucking in bits. And I was going to drive back up north and stay with me folks for a bit. And on the way back, there was a traffic jam. I was just sat in the traffic jam and fucking nine cars came up the back of me and squished me flat. Mm. <laughs> and uh, so that was another accident. It was the whole sort of, and it was this whole thing about sort of close to death, you know. And yeah. don't forget that, like, a couple of years before that, I had a stroke. I also nearly died from pneumonia. I was putting, I was in a coma for like two days. Yeah. Um, so it was it was lots of really big life changing things and death and near death all together all at the same time and it it just changed me and I had this massive fucking breakdown and I, I ended up getting treated for PTSD and stuff and uh, I still have decided I still you know the fallout of that has stayed with me mm-hmm. um, but that it was then it was after all of that and I was taking time out and. I mean, I haven't touched a drop of alcohol since 2004. I've not touched any kind of drugs since 2001, mm-hmm. you know, because of all of that shit, you know. It's like, no, enough's enough. And uh, and it was after that, and I was basically not doing anything. Um, 
and I just wanted to start and I just picked up acoustic guitar and I was just playing some tunes and then I'd, I'd met Jeff Barrow at an electric wizard gig like a year or two years before that. Um, and I would, I'd stayed in touch with him. We were talking one day and I was, I'd already started kind of jamming with my mate Dominic. Um, and I'd known him from the I monkey days. Um, and we'd started sort of just mucking about. He came down for a visit one time and we was watching the Eurovision Song Contest and we started writing tunes. <laughs> um, and then when I was talking to Jeff and Jeff was just like, why didn't you come down? I've got a studio down here in Bristol. Why didn't you just come down and record some stuff? And it was and it was him persuading me to go and make an album to get sort my head out, him and Fat Paul, that basically made me do cripple black phoenix basically yeah um and uh yeah <laughs> that's how it started so there was no no preconcept you know there was no no real thought in it to be honest yeah did you think it was still it was going to last as long as it has done or... no. <laughs> no no i mean when when i did the first album i mean it's a it's a funny beast you see because i mean i've i always consider it i call it abandoned stuff but um it's always been people coming in to sort of help me out really, which is, you know, great. I'm really super lucky, but, um, there wasn't a band when I did the first album, there was no band because we hadn't played live by then. So it was, it was a lot, um, a lot of, you know, people from, uh, Bristol that, that Jeff knew, um, that, that he called up and said, can come, come and do some recording together. And that's how I met Joe and some other people. Um, we just put the first album together, yeah, and then, then decided to play some gigs, and then the, the whole thing sort of snowballed from there, really. Yeah. How would you describe the music or what you want to achieve with you, the you music? Know, you, know, you know that's like fucking uh, garlic to a vampire question. <laughs> well, for Christ, I, I don't know, Fred. You can have it differently if you want, but yeah. There's elements of a lot of stuff in it. When When you stop thinking about what you have to play to impress your, your peers or the people in your scene. When you stop thinking like that and just think, I just want to play some fucking music, whatever it is, I don't care. It, it will be what it will be. This mm-hmm. is how it turns out. You know, um, there's, there was no goal. There was no kind of, um, you know, there's no plan. I, I wasn't really bothered about selling albums and doing anything big or anything like that. It was just, I just want to make the music that I feel like making at that time. And that's why each CBP album can sometimes be a bit different because it all it is, it's like a bad tattoo. It's just what you do at the time. And it represents that, that time and headspace that you're in at that, you know? Yeah. So it's just like, a, 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 like keeping a document, like a musical document, if you like, of, of, of your mind. Does, does this, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does this um, sort of explain the kind of, the output, how do you choose who's going to do what then or like who's going to Oh, be well, involved? I mean, we do, we do, um, it's kind of, like I say, it's, it's a weird setup. So it's like a band, but not really a band, you know. Um, but now it is, it's more, it's a lot more sort of uh, set up. So, yeah, I mean, okay, so I, I make the songs or whatever. I don't write the lyrics, you know, because I believe that whoever's going to sing them has to write the lyrics because it has to come from within them to be able to sing genuine emotions, you know. Well, down to business. Well, <laughs> uh, cover versions. Well, I'll just read a couple of lines and then just your, uh, well, just, just say something about why. Um, right. It's, right. <laughs> when I set out on this journey, I thought it would never end. When I started down that road, I could not see the end. Reasons, best 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 lyrics ever. Well, yeah, I'm like looking back, the the that song has really, really, really good good lyrics, good words. Like, it's yeah, just, I mean, I just love it. Yeah, I mean, I I think I I, I wanted to uh, I wanted to do a No Means No cover for so many years. Yeah, um, obviously. CBP was going to be the only band that I was able to do a cover <laughs> mm-hmm. of, of, a, of a No Means No song. I wasn't going to be able to do it with any other band. Um, 
So I, it was always there. Uh, I mean, they're, they're probably, when I think about this, they're probably the most consistent band through my whole life. Yeah. Like, you know, that I've always listened to a lot of genuinely since like the eighties. Um, and victory is sort of my favorite song of theirs. You know, I, I, I connect with it. I like really love the lyrics, you know, and I love their sort of twist on things. I love the really dark sense of humor, mm-hmm. super cool song. And I thought it was one of their most atmospheric songs, which I thought that would suit us to, to be able to do, uh, to do it any justice really. So, yeah, I mean, it's like with any cover version that I've done, it's, um, it's all out of pure respect. And that's why I, I tend to stick quite closely to the original. You know, I don't like to change the songs like some people do um, because there's a reason why I like the song in the first place. If you go and change it, then then it's no longer that song, is it? So mm. I just like playing other people's songs, that you know, <laughs> songs that I love. I, I like to play them. I don't want to change it into mine because it's not about ego. It's about paying your respect to a song. Yeah, because uh, it's, it's sort of like an EP, isn't it? It's a horrific honorifics where you do like swans god machine it's yeah like, you know yeah no reason I've done quite a few there's cover versions here and there but that's an album of just cover versions yeah yeah i'm gonna i want to do another one i want to do part two oh, part two right <laughs> what would you I've what got would you choose loads of ideas, eh? right. what would you choose for well we did um well we did uh when we played live we did play uh let the day begin by sam hayne for a while okay but we only ever played it live and never recorded it so i want to record that there's another alex harvey song the hammer song that i want to play mm-hmm. um i quite fancy doing a skid song um like the saints are coming or something like that okay uh oh, I've, always, I've always got i've always there's loads of songs that i'd like to, to like to play <laughs> it ne- never ends <laughs> No, the thing is, that's like it's. I mean, we live in music, don't we? I mean, why why are you a musician if you don't enjoy what you do? And and you know, just playing playing music, if, if even if it's a cover version, just playing music is it's all part of it. It's why we enjoy what we do. You know, the thing is that we don't get we don't we're not getting rich off this or anything. You know, especially nowadays. So you have got to enjoy it, and that's something that mm-hmm. I enjoy doing. You know? Well, I was going to ask about the uh, Jeffrey Lee Pierce sessions or the oh Jeff, yeah yeah the thing that you did uh you know the just explanation of uh how that came about uh well originally it was um we were we were playing a venue in new york and uh um the guy called gene mc came along and saw us and then afterwards he was asking me if i would be interested in being part of this the Jeffrey Lee Pierce, the first Jeffrey Lee Pierce tribute album. So he put, then of course, yeah, you know, of course it was a great idea. You know, mm-hmm. he was explaining that it was, it wasn't doing cover versions. What it was, it was like the, the um, Tony Schmelik, who's like now a good friend of mine uh, back in London. He he played Gun Club. He played with Jeffrey Lee Pierce, and he had found a, a load of sort of unfinished demo cassette tapes. So he had a load of songs by Jeffrey that weren't finished or there were just ideas or whatever and the idea was to pay tribute to Jeffrey by sort of completing those songs you know mm-hmm. um and I thought that was a great idea you know so we did that um and uh the first one we did was with um David Eugene Edwards you know it was 16 horsepower woven hand guy mm-hmm. and that was really really cool experience doing that because I really like 16 horsepower, you know, <laughs> so I was already a fan of what he was doing. Um, so that worked out really well. And we did a, we did another, we did two songs on that one, but that's, how, and then I, yeah, obviously I kept in touch with Tony cause he's a really cool guy. Um, then we did a, another song for the second album. Um, and the best thing I did for that, I think, Apart from the, well, definitely working with uh, David Edwards was probably the best thing, but really cool thing that I did that probably no, but not, not many people know is I did a song with uh, Nick Cave and Debbie Harry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I played, I played, 
Yeah, you know, on that album, I've, I played bass on a couple of songs, and I played the musical saw. So. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, but I'm I'm there on the album credited. Debbie Harry vocals, Justin Greaves saw. <laughs> oh, uh, tambourine. <laughs> it is Recorded. like that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, no, I mean, yeah, it's just it's some of. The, I mean, it's 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 funny, you know. It's kind of cool, you know. Hey, it's weird. It it's weird, weird having that little thing in in my CV. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, fucking hell, you've had quite a few things by the sound of it. So why not? Yeah, why, yeah, exactly. Why not?
I think finally, I mean, would be like film scoring as well, because there's the film The Devil Devil's Business, which yeah. is twenty thirteen, which is a few years ago now. But I mean, is this something that you would, uh, you know, revisit that kind of like film scoring? Doing like, music for film is probably my my favorite thing, really, because it's anonymous. Yeah. So I can just make music, and it, and there's no. It's just you know you can you can I can appreciate it kind of objectively a lot more than with a band you know there's too much fucking music business bullshit with a band mm-hmm. um, with with soundtracks it's just you know if someone asks me to do some music for some visuals or a film or whatever then that it's it's just really like a pure form of art you know it's just like you make music to go along with something and that's that there's not really any more to it. <laughs> And like I say, it's anonymous. It doesn't matter who's made the music, and and that's to me that's that's I get more a sense of success out of that that people can enjoy a film where the music doesn't intrude or anything like that. They just enjoy the film, and uh, and it's really difficult. And I find it difficult to do. So it's a challenge uh, to do something that's not distracting. You know. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, I just I really enjoy it. You know. I mean, I've, I've done a few things now. Um. I think if if somebody if a big you know a big film production company approached me to do a, a blockbuster, I wouldn't say no <laughs> these yeah. days. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just wouldn't because if someone could give me a wedge of cash to go in a really good studio and make some really cool music, I'd fucking snap their hands off. Yeah, it's just all about having having the uh, the uh, the opportunity to make music. You know, yeah. that's as simple as it gets really but, yeah uh, i did one of the coolest things i've ever done actually was doing the score for the uh the documentary about 2000 ad comics okay um it's called future shock and uh yeah i mean it's an amazing documentary really really good documentary i don't know if you know 2000 ad i mean yeah. i would definitely watch it like i've done i'm not familiar oh, you should with, check it out i'm not familiar yeah uh, it's like the, I mean, it's the it's the punk comic book, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, where 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 is it uh, watchable, or where is it? I think I think well, it's Arrow have released it, um, so it's you can get it on streaming stuff like you know Amazon or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's out on DVD and Blu-ray and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, um, you'd be I think it's on most streaming platforms that you, you get yeah. or downloads or whatever whatever you do. Yeah. Um, but it's it's it's, Arrow, it's on Arrow anyway. Okay. I think Arrow even have their own channel now or something. Yeah, well, that's cool. Yeah. Um, but it's it's it is a it's a really good documentary, and the the Blu-ray version has got the the um the bonus footage, which is there's a behind the scenes in the studio making the music. <laughs> oh, so you're on that. <laughs> hey. So you're on that then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was when I was down. A friend's studio on, on a farm down near Oxford at Shaken Oak Farm, and uh, yeah, uh, the guys who made the film uh, they came they came down for a day and yeah, hung out and shot some bonus material. 